Welcome back everybody. Today is all about grid. I sat down with Harry Sadak, CEO of Grid, and we're going to talk about his company and going public. All right, guys, welcome back. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, as I said in the introduction, I am here with Mr. Harry Sadak. Hello, Harry. How are you? Hey, Jesse. We are at block height 831.151. 30-day exa hash is at 542.7 exa hashes per second, and the hash price is back down to 8262. Um, notes keep saying no, no when people get ahead of themselves. Um, Harry, before we get into it, you tweeted something very interesting. You said, these, adv these advancements, these advancements, oh my, oh my English, these advancements often require a social component to achieve network effects. The advancement needs to be sufficiently compelling to overcome switching costs and attract new users, e.g. email bigger than post offices, cars bigger than horse and buggy, sound money bigger than inflation. Question, what is Bitcoin mining bigger to? What are we advancing from there, do you think? Um, I think that Bitcoin mining is flexible load is greater than static load. All right. Could it be, I was thinking initially, like, I don't know, batteries. The other day I had a discussion with an energy consultant from Germany who told me that they had installed a 50 megawatt hour lithium battery in Germany to... Um, to basically attach flexibility to a coal power plant, which I found pretty insane um, cost-wise. So if, if that's just flexibility, why not do that with Bitcoin mining? Well, maybe the answer is that, you know, capital efficiency is better than capital inefficiency. So, you know, when you look at, at just a simple kind of IRR calculation for a Bitcoin mine, it's wildly more cost-effective to build that revenue stream than it is to build, you know, a battery revenue stream today. Now, does that mean that technology won't solve that problem? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you ask Jeff Booth, you just got to apply technology and time and deflation will, will sort of take the reins. Um, but I think right now, you know, you're, you're looking at an environment where the useful life of plants are being artificially haircut because you're not running these power plants optimally. You know, power plants want to run. They don't want to be turned down and turned up. It's much, much more efficient to turn up and turn down the consumption. The issue is, is that there hasn't been a reliable consumer who's able to achieve those performance metrics really until Bitcoin mining, you know, at scale. Um, and so if you want to spin up or spin down hundreds of megawatts, you can't do that by asking Walmart to turn off half their lights. You can really only do that by asking your ASICs to quiet down. Um, and so you, you've never had a scaled, flexible consumer in the nature that Bitcoin mining has delivered that to the market. So I think, you know, the, the capital efficiency, the flexible consumption, and the switching costs required for power plants to opt into a mining load customer is that sort of perfect soup to be able to achieve sort of next gen consumption. Um, now, does that mean that sort of the political coefficient of friction will be sufficiently low to, to be determined? Depends on the jurisdiction. You know, if you ask, you know, Eric over at Gridless, super low, super achievable. If you ask, you know, folks in, in New York's city, 
whether that's achievable, probably not. Um, and so this is the beautiful, you know, I, I, I imagine the Bitcoin mining landscape as like a huge sort of egg container where these pockets of super low, uh, low uh, uh, depth um, are where all of the hash rate accumulates. Um, and so imagine pouring water across a huge egg carton. You're going to find that water is going to get to the bottom of those areas. Um, and that's the combination of political will, infrastructure availability, and cost of power. Um, and capital formation is sort of the fourth leg, leg of that stool, which I think we're going to get into. Um, but that's the happy, the happy combination where Bitcoin mining is designed to thrive. Um, and the good news is, is there's a lot of paths that get you there. It's not just one. It's not just, I need to go build a gigawatt in Texas. There's a ton of ways to get to a really high performance, uh, you know, financial asset being a Bitcoin mine. It doesn't happen only in the U.S. doesn't happen only on grid. It happens off grid, behind the meter, happens on methane, happens on solar, happens on, on nuclear. Um, and that's what's so exciting is that there's a lot of ways to solve the problem. Um, I forget who said this. It might have been Naval Ravikant, like, eight years ago, who said that, you know, the, the more that you can opt out of finite games and opt into infinite games, the better your life will be. And I view Bitcoin mining as sort of one of these perfect infinite games that you get to play where the board is always moving, the path to winning is always evolving. And what, what wins you the, you know, the battle today doesn't win you the war tomorrow. So it, it's this constant uh, game of evolution and improvement. And that's what makes it an exciting sector to spend your time it's on. It's kind of always seeking out more value, right? Where can I create more value, more value, more value? If I sort of look back four years ago, seven cents on grid in the US was cheap, right? Now it's like, ah, let's maybe add some heat, um, heat reuse or some demand response to that. Or let's get the power price extremely low by the by being the, the demand of first and last response, right? So it's ever, ever evolving. And I'd like to have your take on the whole AI piece. Um, because my theory has been so far, and I like to test that, uh, that the AI development will only push that uh, out, more, out more, right? These, these large infrastructures where, where a lot of power can be consumed, um, there's a lot more money to be made per kilowatt hour with AI installations uh, over Bitcoin mining. Um, and so I'd like to understand your take on whether that's going to accelerate that push to the fringe. Um. There's a few things baked into that question. Uh, the first is, I think that there are sort of two poles in the magnetic field of Bitcoin mining that I, that I think about all the time. On the one side, there's gross margin. And you're exactly right. AI has better gross margins than Bitcoin mining. But on the other end of that magnetic field is, uh, is multiple uninvested capital or return on capital, you know, ROI. There's a lot of acronyms to try to measure that. And that's the other end. And that's where Bitcoin mining is still winning. Because if you go to deploy a megawatt of AI, you're looking at, I don't know, 25, 35 million dollars. One megawatt of Bitcoin mining is, you know, depends on the machines you buy, but somewhere between a half a million and two million bucks. Um, those are those are wildly different equations when you think about it as a capital allocator and a business operator. Um, you know, not every not every megawatt hour is priced the same way from a revenue perspective. Um, and that's really sort of how I think about the, the business is, you know, I'm purchasing X megawatt hours. 
how am I monetizing those same megawatt hours? And what is my capital structure that's required to monetize those megawatt hours? Um, so I think AI is super interesting. The, the load profile that it represents is pretty different than mining. And, and when you think about AI, there's sort of the, there's the training component and then there's the inference component. I think the inference is much more power inelastic. I think the training is much more power elastic. So if I want to train a new model, I might be able to do that during off peak hours or, or during, you know, low, low power price environments. But on an inference basis, I'm not able to do that at all. I have to be responsive as a data center to all of the people that are querying against the model. So there's, you know, there's a lot under the hood on the AI side that's not straightforward, both from a capital structure perspective and from a, a time of use perspective on how that infrastructure gets um, gets leveraged. But then on the Bitcoin mining side, I think, you know, I still think there are some really compelling dynamics that are going to make even Bitcoin mining at on-grid large scale uh, still sort of the the best deployment structure for um, for energy consumption, at least in the near to medium term. Now, all of this changes and time drives prices down typically in technology. And so I think there's, you know, there's a bit of a three body problem happening. Um, but it's, it's certainly exciting to see somebody else come to the party, which is, you know, the key insight we had in 2018 is that low cost high reliability electricity is going to be a leverageable asset for a really long period of time. Yeah. And also access um, to infrastructure. That hasn't changed. Right. Access to large interconnections. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, those are the, those are the, um, those are the beachhead, right? If you think about any sort of business strategy, you want to think about a land and expand. Um, you know, so if you think about what's the beachhead you want to first land on, it's that high quality infrastructure and low cost access to power. What you then build and do um, is a dynamic process that um, that the you know the MBAs can tell me what the right way to do that is. I mean, it's an inf but it's infinite game. In the meantime, say, that infinite game never stops being. It's an infinite game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no. So I think you know I think it's interesting. I think we're at a really cool and and dynamic moment in the market where there's both technological and economic innovation happening. Um, you know, if you told me two or three years ago that, you know, the, the hydro assets all across Africa were going to be getting monetized the way that, you know, the way the gridless guys have done it, you know, I would have said we're, we're probably five to 10 years too early, but they said, no, you're not, we're going to get started right now. Um, so there's, there's stuff happening there. There's stuff happening on the flare capture and on the methane side, on the landfill gas side, you know, all of that stuff is, is super, super cool to see. Um, it's, it's stuff I'm excited to be a part of. Um, as time goes on, but, you know, but in the meantime, it's, um, it's just great to be part of a sector that's growing. How much space do you think these large mega farms will have in like 10 years versus these sort of fringe applications where you provide additional value through heat reuse and stuff like that? Um, I think that the dynamic that we're going to see is really going to be driven off of energy policy globally. If we see the development of large baseload generation, I think the mega farm is here to stay. If we see a really slow trend in growth of baseload generation, I think the fringe applications are going to be, are going to be more dynamic, um, at least in the medium term. 
But at the end of the day, we need to generate more electricity if we want to raise quality of life globally. And so as long as we see more electrons getting generated, you know, Bitcoin mining has a role to play. I agree. What made you start Grid, Harry? Where did you start? Yeah, so I got, I, I met our founder, like most, uh, most great startup stories, two dudes on the internet. Uh, we met in a Telegram chat room, funnily enough. Um, he'd been, you know, he'd been in the cybersecurity space, had had a successful exit, had been into Bitcoin for a long time. I'd been into Bitcoin for a long time. I kind of came out of the, you know, financial technology world for, you know, all of two and a half years after, after university. Um, and we met, we both loved Bitcoin. We both loved mining. We loved the idea of being able to build bricks and sticks rather than software although we do build software as well. Um, and, and being able to be part of a business that wasn't, you know, raise venture money, burn it and see what you have at the end, there's a monthly P and L. Um, and so sort of, we, we wanted to be part of a business that brought the traditional laws of physics, you know, back to the business model, um, which is you gotta, you know, you gotta generate net income over time. And, and that's the way to build, uh, to build towards success. So, we were very, very aligned around those ideas. We both loved Bitcoin. We both were kind of thinking about what's the right Bitcoin business to get involved in. Um, and, you know, mining felt really compelling. It wasn't sexy at the time, which I like. Um, it's, it's changed quite a bit since then. Um, you know, but we, but we really just wanted to kind of prove one step at a time. We said, you know, we're going to crawl, then we're going to walk, then we're going to run uh, like any good two-year-old. And, uh, and then, you know, we just kind of put shovel in the dirt and started building sites. Where did you build them? Where are you today? Uh, so we've got three mining facilities in the Tennessee Valley. Um, we, we get served power from the TVA. Uh, they're, you know, the largest federal producer of power in the U S. Um, and then they've got a distribution network of 156 utilities that, you know, so they, their job is generation and transmission, and then they hand the ball off to all of their sort of last mile delivery partners uh, of which we've had a really great working relationship with, you know, since, um, since 2019, when we energized our first site. And then we also have a behind the meter co-located hydro facility in upstate New York. How does that, how does that work? Um, what is the, what is the arrangement there? You always hear, oh, we're behind the meter with wind farms. How, how does that work in the U S can you just make bilateral <laughs> contracts and go here, pull the rest from the grid? Like what, what's the, what's the setup there? So it, it depends on where you are. Okay. Um, the, you know, the, the grid one eye is, um, is not one thing, especially in the U S. So, so think of it as like a big patchwork tapestry of jurisdictions that are connected, but, um, but don't all have the same rules, you know, in upstate New York, we just, we just do exactly like you said, bilaterally with the, with the hydro facility, um, and we don't, you know, we don't run interconnected there. So we just take the power that, that comes off the dam. Um, in Tennessee, it's like almost exactly the opposite. It's a huge federal network of power. Um, I think TVA generates like 33,000 megawatts of nameplate generation, um, of which we're, you know, a, a large but still small part of. Um, and so there it's really just sort of on grid, you know, very, very systematic you know, constant availability, high uptime. You, you mentioned gridless, right? They do hydro, they have 
medium to small size hydro dams where you know maybe 40 percent of whatever is is used um the rest is stranded you mm -hmm. know because there is no demand and it's all private off-grid i assume that the hydro dam in upstate new york has a connection to the grid what, what causes the, the energy to be yep. cheap there yeah so you know upstate new york relatively lower population density there and a lot of generation is up there so the new york iso which is sort of the the you know think of ERCOT in texas new york iso is the is the sister okay. entity um in that region um they've got a lot of generation and they've got a lot of sort of seasonal advantages it's cold it's a it's a constructive climate um so there's often you know periods of really constructive power prices in that in that area okay interesting is that somewhere where you deploy your most efficient run all the time asics or where you maybe yeah put your uh less efficient the other other end of the spectrum okay it's 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 where it's where we're able to deliver kind of the lower cost higher you know higher um variability type of profile so we look to you know, we look to manage the fleet relative to the power availability. Um, and so it's a, it's a place where lower efficiency and higher intermittent kind of usage is, uh, is constructive. What do you project these miners to do now when they ordered all of their S21s, M60s, um, replace them? <laughs> I think what, what's going to happen to the... It's going to go up. Yeah. That always, hash rate always up. Um, but these older ASICs have mm -hmm. to go somewhere. Are they just being stored and then sort of... They're hoping to be sold to the market when Bitcoin price goes up. Um, or what do you think is going to happen? Um, I think there's some of that. Yeah, there's definitely some of that. Um, I think that, you know, we're going to see two components. One is that there are going to be people who have the patience to wait for a, a higher kind of hash price market to be able to leverage those assets. And then there's other dynamics where there, there are these sort of medium to lower efficiency machines that are migrating jurisdictions. Um, whether that's, you know, South America or otherwise, um, I think that, I think that we're going to see, you know, go back to the egg crate, we're going to see migration to those lowest points of lower efficiency units, and they're going to get used for some period of time. Um, you know, I think, I bet you in South America, there's still S9s running. I know. For and, fact and we're going to see that. Yeah. So I, th I don't expect that to change. Um. I think, you know, some of it's going to be a function of machine cost and, and some of it's going to be a function of hash price, but over time, we're going to see the useful life of ASICs, you know, think, you know, likely extend, um, which is going to keep hash rate higher for longer. Uh, you know, I forget, uh, I think the coin metrics guys did some of the nonce analysis yeah. on the machine types that they, that they fingerprinted. So, you know, I, I look at that chart closely to just see what's still running and, and what, you know, if I make some reasonable assumptions around the power cost structures that are sitting on top of those machines, you know, there, there probably still is a lot of juice left in the tank. Yeah. But there's also a lot of S 19s sitting at seven cents in the U S the question is what's going to happen with mm -hmm. those, you know, where are they going to go? Are they going to, they're going to change hands, change hands to where though, you know, they could change hands to the Middle East. They could change hands to Eastern Europe. They could change hands to South America. Yeah. You know, I think there's still, you know, we're still, we're still scratching the surface. Um, you know, I think about it from the infrastructure side, you know, so if you're building a new site, being able to flex across a number of different machine types seems like a really valuable way to build because this market is, you know, the ASIC market and the Bitcoin market are kind of pro-cyclical, counter-cyclical. 
Um, and so, you know, when Bitcoin, when Bitcoin goes up, a lot of these older machines become very viable. When Bitcoin goes down, those machines change hands. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we're still in just the very, very early stages of the, of the build out here. Or if you've got a, you know, wellhead on your property somewhere and you can plug in 50 or, or 75 ASICs, I think there's a ton of infrastructure waiting for that kind of deployment as well. Yeah, that's CapEx intensive though, then again, right? I mean, would you go ahead and deploy mm -hmm. millions to plug in your old M30s? How risky is that? Or you? If I thought I had, if I thought I had line of sight on an upgrade cycle. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I, I'm hoping that a lot of those machines, Harry, will end up on the African continent to sort of unlock it and take down the perceived risk that a lot of mining companies have because there's a bunch of stranded decentralized power generation to be done there. I mean, I'm talking literally thousands of hydro dams. Um, and the good thing when Bitcoin price go up is that a lot of these miners will have capital to um, use um, and machines already to maybe build out these dams, right? And become the, the, the demand of first and last response where traditional um, traditional financial um, industry will, will never finance them because they will, you know, point towards the door once you mention that you're using 50% of your project is going to be Bitcoin mining because they don't understand it, you know? So um, we need the, that intersection between capital, energy money, and Bitcoin miners um, and both worlds sort of need to come together. Um, so from what you're saying, Harry, I, I am guessing you are not operating at all outside of the, the US. Have you just found better opportunities nope. inside of the US or why is that never? Um, we looked for a long time at the beginning, uh, ex-US, and we just couldn't get our head wrapped around kind of jurisdictional risk or counterparty risk. Um, It, it, it didn't make sense for us at the time. I think that landscape is changing. I'm always happy to evaluate opportunities outside the U.S. I think that, um, you know, it's naive to think that Bitcoin mining is only going to develop here. I think there's a tremendous amount that can develop here, but it's by no means limited. Um, and some of it is just, is just you know, time and, and attention. You know, there's only so many projects you can accomplish in a year or, or in a decade. Um, And we don't think that we've run out of opportunity here yet, but, you know, I, I think of our power pipeline and, and the future growth really is like an opportunity to leapfrog, right? If we see a new project that beats out the old competing ones, let's put something else to the front of the line. That sounds great. Um, so we're always looking, we're always prepared to evaluate stuff. Um, but we think there's a ton of meat on the bone in the U.S. as well. How do you guys evaluate risk with sort of recent news around um, registering how much power you guys are using and stuff like that. Do you th still think like <laughs> the U.S. is top tier when it comes to international mining locations on from a from a risk perspective, or what are you what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think risk is a dynamic process, right? So you know nothing stands still. Um, we're always constantly kind of reevaluating. the The good news is that the truth is on our side. Um, mining does create a more stable energy environment. You can't, you know, you can't get out of frequency on a grid by more than a couple of tenths, you know, of a Hertz. And so because of that, the need, you know, the, the, the engineering need and boots on the ground reality, um, is such that mining is a hugely valuable service to these electric systems where we operate. And so 
you know, my hope is that over time, the, you know, the folks that are in charge of power systems in the U.S. will be able to articulate that to, to regulators and legislators and, and make clear the value that we provide as an industry. Um, and so I think that, you know, I still think the U.S. is, is enormously constructive from a capital formation and from a regulatory perspective. It doesn't mean there aren't flies in the ointment or headwinds, um, but there's still a ton, a ton of good um, working in, you know, in our favor. I'll read you a quick quote from the CEO of the TVA, uh, who uh, I'm, I'm in an article with, which is great. Um, and he's, you know, he's enormously constructive kind of in his, uh, in his assessment of it. But he says, quote, and this is, this is uh, the gentleman, Jeff Lyash, quote, it's a very flexible load. They can curtail their load quickly on peaks, and they did during this winter storm when we needed that, Lyash said, on a January 30th conference call. So they're quite good to work with. You know, that's the largest federal grid in the U.S., and their CEO is talking about the role that we play. So while we'll see stuff out of Washington that, that might look like a, a regulatory headwind, the people with boots on the ground who are operating these systems, they get they it. They say no. Our grids don't work anymore. That's almost like a Trojan horse, right? Kind of like Bitcoin currency. Bitcoin the asset comes in as a Trojan horse for 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 solid or, or hard money. Bitcoin miners come in, provide mm -hmm. value um, that you now no longer need to paper over with with freshly printed currency, um, and you can't remove it at a certain point because it provides value that you know you otherwise cannot get anywhere else. Um, all right. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, we'll link that article. If you send me the link, we'll, we, we'll put it in the show notes. I, I assume it's released. I sure will. Yeah. Um, you mentioned capital. You guys just went public, right? Um, what goes into that? Why now? Why not stay private? Uh, what made you do that? Yeah. I mean, the the good news is is that we made the decision to go public over two years ago, and the reasoning for that remains unchanged. We weren't trying to time the market or, or anything like that. We just believe that, you know, the the large scale industrial Bitcoin miners in many cases belong in the public markets. Um, I think there's a decentralization argument to be made, which is that we're able to diffuse ownership and make make ownership in our company incredibly broadly available. Um, and so, you know, you could decentralize hash rate by putting it in the hands of many, many people, or you could decentralize hash rate by putting ownership of the company's operating hash rate in the hands of many, many people. Um, so I think there's a compelling case there. Uh, and then the other is just capital formation. It's not a secret that the Bitcoin mining uh, industry is, is highly CapEx intensive. And when we looked at our opportunities to form capital in a cost effective way, the public market operators have the, the greatest availability of that. Um, and our perspective on that really hasn't changed since we made the decision to go through the transaction. When you, when you say decentralization by bringing mining stock into people's hands, does that mean those stockholders also have decision making capabilities or can they have voting cast rights, their votes? Yeah. Share, uh, shareholders, shareholders in, in companies have voting rights on, you know, whether it's on, you know, management stuff or board stuff, you know, there's, there's a, a wide range uh, of, of decisions that get put 
to shareholders as part of, you know, the operating agreements that we work under. Um, and, and I think, you know, and, and it, there's a, there's a level of transparency that comes from being a publicly listed company that's positive, whether it's from an earnings disclosure and audit disclosure, um, or material contracts that get filed in the public eye, you know, all of that brings a level of visibility to how we do business that we think, you know, puts the, the mining folks in a good light. People will probably roll their eyes at this point because I've asked this question probably three times to hive marathon bit digital um the 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 short term the short term stock price value versus the sort of long these long term ethos around around bitcoin in general how how does that bite itself if at all if you're a public company if you're driven sort of by short term um goals in in stock price versus thinking long term and making the right decisions there And then also, you know, if, if you say people can make uh, or have, can cast their votes, how much are you giving away there of your own decision-making capabilities um, from when you were solely private? Yeah, look, it, it, there, there's no right answer on how you should run your company. You know, I can, I can only share the thinking that, you know, kind of went into why we made these choices. Um, the piece that I think a lot about is that, you know, we're, we're founder led, right? Our, our founder and CEO is the same person who started the business in 2018. I was the first employee um, and we're the people running the business. And so, you know, there's a, there's a, a founder culture and ethos that we're able to bring to grid that we care an enormous, uh, an enormous amount about um, it. It's reflected in the culture of how we run our sites and how we hire people and how we grow people um, within the organization. And so, you know, there's, there's something that, you know, there's no hired gun, right? We didn't bring in somebody to run a real public business. It's us. Um, and so there's something that happens for us culturally around being Bitcoiners running a public company that lets us continue to take the long view, to take the long-term perspective around, you know, why are we doing this in the first place? It's because we think we can generate positive cash flows out of Bitcoin. Um, and we think we can do that over a very long period of time. And and that matters quite a great deal to me. And it, it's reflected in the way that we make all of our choices. Um, and so there's, of course, going to be pressure from the public markets uh, and, and shareholders that we're accountable to. But it's also on us to provide a perspective on the vision that we have around, you know, the business, the sector and, and the broader sort of Bitcoin ecosystem that that's what drives us and gets us up in the morning. It's working hard on behalf of all those people. Um, and that's what really drives the core decision-making is what's the best long, not what's the best quarterly decision. So why would, why would people decide to buy grid over any other mining stock? Do you think that's available? Um, I mean, look, I, I, the sector is still, as you want. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm limited somewhat by, you know, by SEC guidelines. I, you know, I, I can't take a position particularly on, you know, grids price or us versus our okay, peers gotcha. or anything like that. But, you know, the good news is, is that there's a lot of great companies in our sector. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I'm close with many, many of the other executives at the other companies, I'm sure all your listeners have heard of um, and spent time listening to them on your podcast. 
you know, they're, I, I'm, I'm proud to consider many of them friends. Um, and, you know, the way that we've thought about this business for a long time is really putting one foot in front of the other and delivering value with everything we do. You know, that starts with being as vertically integrated as we're able to be, which means we're not, we're not spinning our own electrons today, but, uh, but everything in between the electron and the ASIC is stuff that we, we care about being in control of. We're, you know, we're control freaks. And so that means looking at every line item on the project budget and squeezing out all of the costs that we think are artificial or are there, you know, extraneously. And so being able to do incredibly high quality construction and development, controlling that process and doing it ourselves, you know, that's all, that's all stuff that we care enormously about. Um, and, you know, we don't, we don't like middlemen and we don't like outsourcing because we want to know exactly what's happening at every step of the process. We, you know, we built our own demand response software stack to be able to manage our load. You know, we, we, we have a lot of sort of topology and insight into what's happening in every site at every miner. Um, you know, we love that kind of stuff. And so, you know, attention to detail, we just really, really, really care about how we run. Um, so there's an operational excellence piece. Um, you know, I can't speak to what our peers are doing, but I know that I wake up every day thinking about that. You know, the other piece is that we build incredibly long-term power relationships. You know, so our, our uh, site at, at Upstate New York is with, you know, one of the largest private portfolios of hydro dams. They've got 80-something, 80 85, 86 dams in their portfolio. You know, when the time is right, we'll think about growing with that partner. We love working with the TVA. We've got three facilities here, as well as a manufacturing facility here, where we build and wire all of our own containers um, and all the infrastructure that goes inside of the box. You know, so it's it's just that ongoing commitment to operational excellence. It's that ongoing commitment, you know, to vertical integration. It's the ongoing commitment to building the right types of power relationships over the long term. Um, and at the end of the day, we just want to mine more Bitcoin. Uh, you know, so it's, yeah. it's really just taking sort of those very blue collar, very fundamental bottom up views on how we run our business and extending that at scale. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds like you're, you're taking the long-term approach there, you know, by having <laughs> a lot of control over, over supply chains as well. Are you going to done an ICO man? <laughs> yeah, no, please don't. I think Never. those times are behind us. Please <laughs> do not do that. The the grid token. Mm -mm. Um, nope. By the way, there's no there's no relationship between brains double I and grid double I, is there? We were double I first. Okay. But uh, but we love we love the brains folks. <laughs> we'll they're, leave, they're a great we'll team. Leave, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> you should have Christian. Uh, on. Guess who was here before you? No way. Yeah, yeah, no. Of course. Oh, Christian's awesome. Um, yeah, uh, it's not out yet. Now people will listen to this uh, or we're recording way before it'll, it'll be out. But anyway, um, <laughs> have you guys thought about doing your own pool? I know that's a common trend right now. Um, we haven't thought about it recently. We, you know, we love the folks at Foundry. We love the folks at, at you know, at Luxor and many, many others. I think they, you know, I think they're building their own interesting businesses. When I think about what we're great at, um, hiring a big team of software engineers to run a pool and trying to build a sales team to get hash rate on the pool, it's not our core competency. We, we love being focused. Um, 
And so, you know, I think that's worked for others. I think it's interesting, but you know, for us, we're here to provide proof of work. We're not here to manage, you know, the, the everything after. What would you say um, is sort of the most expensive part from Electron to set to outsource? Is it the firmware? Is it the pool? Is it the, the I think it's infrastructure management. building? It, I think it's, yeah. I think it's site management and I think it's, um, probably power. I don't, I don't I, like, I'm trying to say hosting, but I don't quite know what the right way to frame that is. Um, I mean, you don't, if host, you're paying, right. Mm -mm. No, we run our own, we run our own metal. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, as soon as you're paying, you know, pennies above the actual power price or you're paying, for somebody else to run your facilities, you're starting to give up pieces of margin that are, that are pretty scary to me. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, at the end of the day, I'd rather do the harder, slower thing and, and really be in control of how that business is going to perform. No, I agree. As I said, uh, I think I'm, I can't remember whether it was uh, before we started recording or not, but seven cents four years ago seemed very cheap, you know, not anymore and today paying seven cents in somebody else's margin. And you see that as well, like the, the sort of asset light, uh, asset light competitors of yours. Um, they, you know, making moves into the direction of fringe projects, demand response, heat reuse, um, or yeah. operations, buying sites. Exactly. We're, we're, you know, the, the, the capital allocation sort of tells the truth. And so as soon as I saw, you know, and, and, you know, Fred, Fred is a great CEO and the marathon team is really strong, but they just put $150 million into site acquisition. And I think they did that to, to achieve some of the cost controls that, you know, we've never been able to kind of justify living without. Yeah. What is the 1031's role in your move to go, to go public? What is the, yeah. yeah. 1031 is one of our investors. Um, they've been an incredible partner. They're very, very sharp, very thoughtful. We spend a ton of time on the phone with them, thinking about the space, thinking about Bitcoin, thinking about, you know, what are the other portfolio companies they have that would be interesting to maybe work with in the future. Um, but real, you know, really they're, you know, they're an investor in, uh, in us and, uh, and just a great, a great strategic partner thinker. Okay. Somebody to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. Like any, like any good investor, you know, they're, they're very solutions oriented. Um, you know, they're not, you know, yeah. they're, they're, when you think of like, what, you know, what does it mean to be value add? What do you bring to the table other than capital? Um, really it's, it's a thoughtful sounding board that we know is heavily aligned with us. Um, and that's been invaluable. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've got a, a, a broad range of investments. I think, you know, they, they, their energy and mining investments from, from the last thing I listened to to one of their their podcasts um, a while back was was relatively slim the share of energy and Bitcoin mining investments compared to the other stuff. So how how important do you think it is to have that more broader angle, that more general generalist Bitcoin angle on on a, on a mining operations? Is that um, critical? Where, where has it maybe provided an idea that you wouldn't have had by yourself? Yeah, I think you know when we when we think about what we're fundamentally aligned with, you know, we're fundamentally aligned with Bitcoin. 
Um, and as miners, we're fundamentally aligned with Bitcoin being more widely adopted and used. And so that emerges both from the price of Bitcoin, but it also emerges from, you know, the use of block space and the transaction fees associated with it. So having the visibility into the broader Bitcoin development ecosystem gives us a more informed opinion on just what's happening in the commodity asset that we're tasked with securing and therefore generating our revenues in. And so, you know, I, I always think that, you know, more I can do more with more information than I could have possibly imagined before I had that additional information. And so having visibility into all the different things that are happening across the broad Bitcoin ecosystem, whether that's a layer two or, you know, some some alternative, you know, opportunity to leverage, you know, I love I love what the guys at Anchor Watch are doing, you know, with with insurance. You know, I think that's going to be a big driver for more people feeling more comfortable owning Bitcoin and insuring that ownership um, or, you know, stuff that's happening. You know, I, I love the the team at Primal um, on Noster. They've integrated a huge amount of Bitcoin payment rail into a social environment. And so that gets me excited about securing more Bitcoin transactions. I think the number of lightning channel openings and closings is going to go up enormously because the utility of these networks is going to go up tremendously. And so therefore we're able to have a more informed view on, on what transaction fees could look like because we see the type of throughput that's happening across other areas of the network. And we can have, you know, that, that more sophisticated, uh, opportunity to, to bake those thoughts into how we think about the future. So, you know, the, the good news is the state of our network is very strong and the state of innovation and development across other areas of Bitcoin that you would never think would touch mining, but eventually do. Um, I love knowing more things because I don't know what I get to do with that information in six, nine, 12 months down the road. But, uh, but I think all, all of that kind of very, very, you know, broad, horizontal view of the Bitcoin ecosystem is valuable as a miner who's, who's got, you know, a critical, but, but relatively smaller role to play. It always clicks down the line somewhere. It's like networking at events. People say, Oh, why should I go to Bitcoin events? Well, like, because you learn things. And especially if you sort of earn your money in this, in this space, um, things click into place down the line somewhere, 12 months and the connections that you make at some event, I don't know, six months ago, they pay off in 24 months somehow and you don't even know yet how, right? Exactly. Um, I'll you tell you what my dad really says. I'll tell you what my dad says briefly. It's not about being in the right place at the right time. It's about being in the right place all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and that, 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 that matters not just physically, but also in the, in the right headspace and mm -hmm. the amount of uh, opportunities that you might lose because I don't know, you might not feel like getting up or whatever that, that that's kind of a driver, right? And if you if you're driven by and have to, I don't know, have mouths to feed and, you know, sort of, you know, there's nobody else uh, paying you, paying you, but yourself, then yeah, I don't know. Um, that's maybe for another day. But but what we said just now was really interesting in that the wider ecosystem actually really, really matters because Bitcoin mining at the end of the day is the foundation for all of it, um, along with nodes and the security aspect. Um, so understanding what the lightning rails are doing, what the, especially, I mean, I, I had to chuckle just now because of layer two, it's kind of becoming a meme at this point. Yeah. Austin Tron is also working on a layer two, I think it's like, <laughs> what's happening is this the, the new ICOs is layer twos. Um, but just uh, on a serious note, to understand what happens in the wider ecosystem, 
you know, why am I, why is my hash price going up? Um, what's the, what's the story around ordinals being involved in all of it? Because at the end of the day, it determines a lot of, a lot of your revenue, you know? Um, exactly. I, I mean, imagine being an internet company, right. Or, or being a, being an ISP or a fiber company and not knowing what was happening with the network effects at Google or Facebook, right. It would be unimaginable. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so to, to me, I view it exactly the same way. We're, we're laying the fiber and we're and we're running the ISPs and the early data centers and everything else that's happening on Bitcoin are these huge new companies that are going to drive a tremendous amount of growth and attention to the underlying asset that we're tasked with securing. Um, yeah. And so, you know, to me, you almost can't run this business without having a view and having some insight into everything else that's going on. Yeah, very interesting. As we sort of close out here, uh, Harry, I had two more questions that I derived from the MinerMag article. You in there, I think it says your market cap is five hundred million right now. Um, it's that? probably lower than that, but I haven't I haven't done the math. What 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 does that consist of? If you read somewhere a, a miner's market cap is five hundred million, what sort of percentage wise is that for you guys? Is it treasury? Is it machines? Is it like transformers? What is it? Oh, I would, I would say, so there's two, there's two concepts, right? Like the, the way to think about it is it's just the total number of shares outstanding times the price. Okay. The way that we think about it is it's our job to continue to deploy infrastructure and it's our job to continue to generate Bitcoin uh, in a really cost-effective way. And so the market will come to an understanding of how to value that over time. You know, we've only, I think we've only been in the public markets uh, since, well, January 2nd, we listed in Canada. And then, uh, at the end of January, we listed on NASDAQ in the U S you know, so we're, we're still, we're still just an infant kind of in our, in our public why, market why do, cycle. Why, why do companies do that? Why first the one and then the, the big one? Is it like a stepping stone, a pre-qualification? Is it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, these things take time to get them through and it, and it, you know, it, it's just kind of a, a managing of, you know, the path of least resistance and wanting to complete the transaction and get back to work. Yeah. All right. Interesting. The minus that you have, this is the last question here. Um, the minus that you guys have in upstate New York at your, you said at the beginning, right? Those, that's sort of where you put your machines that are less efficient and stuff like that. What, what do you have running there? I can't share. Can you, can you share? I can't, you can't share. share. What I, yeah, what I, what I, how I would answer that is that, one of the things we think really thoughtfully about is how to develop and and deploy a holistic portfolio view of the fleet. And so mapping the right miners to the right site with the right profile over time, that's a dynamic process. And I think it's an area that our industry has not um, has not communicated that clearly about yet, which is that there's a range of options whenever you think about these um, these types of machine types. Um, that you want to roll out. And so taking a really holistic portfolio view of what you purchase and where you put it and what's the, what's the profile at each of those locations and, and creating that broad portfolio um, construction approach, uh, you know, because miners are really capital allocators, right? We're, we're deploying capital into the site development. We're deploying capital into the miners themselves and marrying those assets together in a way that is best supported by the infrastructure and the electricity that you have at each location. That's a dynamic process. 
Um, and so continuing to innovate on the portfolio construction is something that, um, that we spent a lot of time thinking about over the life of the company. So, I mean, if you look at the, um, I guess, yeah, I don't know if there's, if there's a way to, to derive it for anybody listening, right? If you read the, the articles and you look at, look at the hash rate you guys have, um, and look at the money that's sort of in the, in the company, because now it's public knowledge, right? You can sort of derive from that, what the average efficiency is in, in all of that. Um, and, and, okay. you know, we're going to, we're going to look to, we're going to look to continue to, to open the doors and, and disclose in, in as, as much of a level of detail as we're able to. So the, you know, these are, these are evolutions for us, you know, now that we've kind of got our public company legs under us that, you know, we'll want to share more, um, as time goes on. Any stance on if you had to buy minus today, news gen, what, what, what um, would you buy off? I would spend all I'll of my you, time. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I'm asking this is because, yeah. um, from where I am, um, micro BT is taking leap, making leaps and bounds to, to catch up. Their support seems to be better. The machines run better. They're more expensive. Um, they're less, uh, operationally expensive, uh, uh, or less expenses on the operational side. So the actual efficiency between Bitmain and MicroBT in the field might be much, much closer than what the numbers say on paper. Yep. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, was it Riot that just said, Hey, we're doing MicroBT only like that's huge mm -hmm. as well. What are you a buy off? What is your perspective? If you can say. Uh Tell me what as much I, as you can. <laughs> yeah, what I would what I would say is that um, I want to be very nimble in this market because I think that the dynamic opportunities are are really really interesting, and I think that being that you know being able the dynamic opportunities. So rather than saying, "Hey, I'm going to go place a fifty thousand machine pre order and wait for them." Being able to say, "Hey, where can I go? What are the what are the overlooked opportunities? Who's trying to roll off of something? All of that kind of stuff." I, I never want to close the door to that, just because I've you know put all of our our sort of capital planning towards these you know these monolithic pre-orders. I want to stay nimble and dynamic, and I want to be able to seize opportunity in real time. Um, and to me, there's sort of a there's a place for the super high efficiency. There's a place for the big pre-order, but there's also a place for everything in between where, you know, somebody else's, uh, challenging situation might be our opportunity. Okay. Used machines. Is that ever an option? I love it all. There is no bad Terra hash. There's no bad hash. I like that. Harry, is there anything that I did not ask you that you wish I had? Um, no, I think we covered a lot of ground. Your, your questions are super thoughtful. Um, I apologize for the, the places where uh, I'm not able to answer as fully as I'd like to. No, nah, not at all, um, man. But, you know, no, I just, you know, what I'd leave people with is, is this is a rapidly evolving, highly dynamic industry. It's not for the faint of heart. It's a hard business. Um, it's a lot of work. You know, you're, you're looking at our first site technician where I lived on, on one of our sites in a trailer you know, for, for two weeks on two weeks off while we were getting off the ground. And so I've, you know, I've shorted and fixed S nines and pulled hashboards apart. And, you know, I don't do quite as, as much of that now as I would like to, but, you know, if you're not interested in the sort of dirt under your fingernails part, 
um, you should think about if this is for you, because it, it really is, you know, it really is sort of a, a throwback to the late 1800s or early 1900s um, of a business. And that's what I find to be tremendously motivating and exciting. Um, and, you know, and I, I have such a respect for construction workers and electricians and all these other areas that, you know, I didn't grow up um, being close to, but, but now I'm incredibly grateful to have spent a lot of time with. Um, so the, you know, the, the folks on our team, I, I just, I couldn't live without them and, and they're, you know, incredibly industrious, hardworking, creative, innovative people. Um, and, and thank goodness for Bitcoin for leading me to them. 100%. I mean, now everybody's studying and plumbers are becoming really expensive. I assume electricians are similarly increasing in price on the market. They deserve it. Um, they're, 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 they're generating enormous value and that's getting reflected. 100%. Does Bitcoin consume enough energy, Harry? Yes no. or no? No. Our, our electric systems are still too fragile and the way to consume more electricity is to generate more electricity. And we need to generate enormously more electricity if we want to go where I think we're headed. Um, and Bitcoin's going to be part of that story and, and Bitcoin doesn't consume nearly enough electricity yet because we're not stabilizing every grid in America or in the, or in the so world. You're saying, so you're saying hash rate up, hash rate up, hash rate up. All right, man, guys, thank you very much for listening. I hope you learned something new. Harry has probably done this a couple of times before. If you haven't checked out his episode on, on, or episodes, I should say on Peter's podcast, what Bitcoin did a uh, bunch of knowledge there as well, not just mining, but uh, general stuff, um, support the show with some hashes. If you want, there's a description on how to do that in the uh, description. Uh, I will see you next time on Sunday when we talk mining again. I don't know who's going to be the guest yet or what episode <laughs> will be released, but um, we'll find out together. Um, yeah, guys, thank you very much for listening and have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>